Hello and welcome to the Deadline Detroit podcast. I'm Jeff Watrick. Uh, Thursday afternoon, former Detroit Mayor Kwame Kilpatrick was sentenced to 28 years in federal prison for racketeering and assorted charges. Uh, in the courthouse with him were uh, Deadline Detroit's own Alan Langle and Bill McGraw. We'll talk about this historic sentence, what Kwame said in court, and break down all the legal niceties. But first, we're going to pay a bill. Scrapbusters owner Bill Wild would like to thank all of Wayne County for 25 years of support. So who comes into Scrapbusters? Anybody that wants to save money. What we offer is a low-cost option for people to fix their cars and keep them on the road. You know, our customers have a blast when they come to Scrapbusters. It's very easy, it's safe, it's clean, and you can save a lot of money. And we just want to tell everybody we appreciate their loyalty and their business. Bill Wild and Scrapbusters, serving the community for 25 years. All right, and we're back with Alan Langle and Bill McGraw, who were uh, at the federal courthouse Thursday for uh, Kwame Kilpatrick's sentencing. Uh, Bill, you were actually in the courtroom, and uh, it seemed like a very strange uh, kind of rambling presentation by Kwame. Uh, Any, how was that? It was a strange um, uh, morning with Kilpatrick in the courtroom. He His demeanor was about 180 degrees away from what it had been even up to the day his ver the verdict was read in March, where he was very jaunty. Now, that changed, if you remember, in March. Mm -hmm. His whole, um, you know, eff effect uh, really changed as soon as he found out he was convicted of that racketeering crime especially. And so, but in the courtroom today, he uh, really sat quietly. He seemed extremely subdued almost like he was tranquilized, which I obviously have no idea if he was. Sure. I doubt it. But he acted like that. And his speech to the judge in defense of himself in many ways and slightly contrite uh, was given delivered in such a quiet manner that people in the courtroom couldn't even hear everything he said. So he was not the Kilpatrick of old. There's no doubt about that. I, I, yeah. I, I totally agree with him on that. I think it was interesting because every time I've seen him in the courtroom, uh, he seems to have been able to smile, and he finally did. I mean, he came in and he was looked like he was moping, and then he was putting his hands on his head, he was closing his eyes. Um, finally, during a break, he was talking to a cousin and some other people, and, and then he did, and he was talking to his attorney, and he finally smiled. But I'd never seen him so down uh, before, and he looked nervous. And I, you know, the judge has never shown any sympathy whatsoever for him all along, you know, particularly in post-conviction where he's tried to get a break and mm -hmm. uh, stayed out pending sentencing. And so, yeah, I, I almost wonder now at this point, given that he's going to be in jail now for 27 and a half more years, if, if going to jail immediately wasn't maybe his best interest because he's six months in this amazingly long sentence. Mm -hmm. um, Alan, you covered a little bit of the, or a lot of the uh, William Jefferson case in, in Louisiana. Right. Um, he got 14 years? 13 years. 13 years. 13. How does, so you have more than double the time in jail for, for Kwame to, to someone like Jefferson. How did the, the two crimes compare? Well, I think clearly, I mean, when you're talking about a, a racketeering here where it was over a long period of time where they, you know, the judge today or, or yesterday was talking about uh, this pattern from, from the time he was in the state house and continuing as, as mayor. So 
with with William Jefferson, I mean, basically it was, you know, I, I can't remember if it was the judge or the prosecutor who, who tried to sort of minimize it, even mm -hmm. though, and say that he was really sort of, you know, freelancing and, you know, doing things on his... Sort of Writing his, letters uh, on behalf of people. Yeah, he was doing much more than that. And mm -hmm. I think they really tried to minimize it, because frankly, 13 years was the harshest sentence up until then that any uh, Congress member had ever gotten. And that seemed like, wow. Sure. That seemed really, because at that time we were saying, well, maybe I'll get 10 years, maybe 12, but, you know, 13. And then, you know, after a while you keep breaking that, that barrier, and then you got Bogoyevich gets 14 years. Uh, but Congressman Jefferson did, I mean, he used his office. He, mm -hmm. he, 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 used, he not only used letterhead, but he traveled with, uh, with his staff to Africa and was really basically trying to get these contracts uh, for, for the internet and cable TV and stuff like that, where he was going to make a lot, a lot of money, millions and millions. So, Now, Bill, historically, I mean, I don't think people remember Louis Mariani too well. Richard Reading is kind of a, the asterisk in uh, Detroit history. Five years, are we going to, ten years, is, is Kwame going to be really remembered are people going to care? Well, I think in five or ten years. Okay. Uh, let's say when Kwame gets out of prison in uh, 24 years, he doesn't have to serve every single sure. year, but, right. uh, you know, 85% at least. Um, I think eventually he'll be forgotten. You know, Reading was, uh, went to prison in 1940. Mm -hmm. There you know, you got to be pretty old to remember him. Sure. And Miriani really But we was, do remember Frank Murphy and Sophie Williams and some of these well, other people figures. people who went on right. to greatness. Sure. Yeah. Right. Um, so, but I think Kwame will, be a, will remain a legend for a long time because he was such a character. He cut a very large figure in Detroit, you know, literally and figuratively. Mm -hmm. He was, the judge even used this term, he was larger than life. He had an incredible gifts. He was charismatic. Uh, he could have been Michigan's first black governor or black senator if he had kept his nose clean. So sure. I think the legend of Kwame will live on for quite a while, and um, uh, we'll see what happens to him when he gets out when he's in his late 60s. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's interesting, during his little talk to the judge, he said, you know, all I wanted to do was be mayor of the city of Detroit. He said, I didn't want to be the governor, and I went to law school. I really didn't want to be a lawyer. All I wanted to do was be mayor. And so your thought... My, my thought was, y'all wanted to be mayor so he could make a lot of money, <laughs> right, a lot yeah. of extra money. But, you know, in typical of the way uh, Kilpatrick has dealt with his transgressions over the last several years, he also said once he became mayor, he hated it. That's what he said today. Right. This is part of his rambling, how hard the job was and all that. But yet he ran for re-election. You know, uh, he gave no indication at the time. Now, he does write in his autobiography that uh, being mayor was much different than he thought, as Dave Bing found out, and mm -hmm. as Duggan or Napoleon are gonna, is going to find out. So, um, you know, he was, uh, his message today was a little mixed up, but uh, clearly the job was really tough. Everyone knows that, and he was a smart enough guy that he probably should have understood that before he ran for office, too. And, and, the, and the, it's interesting, the judge said, well, okay, we can acknowledge that he did some good, but that's why he was elected. Sure. That's the job. He was elected to do good. And it's, it's almost like it reminds me of the little Chris Rock riff where, where a guy starts bragging about that he takes care of his kids. He says, <laughs> well, what do you want, a cookie? He says, you're supposed to take care sure. of your kids. And that's sort of, you know, you want credit for actually doing good? That's what you're supposed to be doing. Right. You know? um, and being outside the courtroom and watching live tweets and live blogs of, of reports of what he was saying, 
you know, at first you thought, at least I thought, was like, wow, he's actually being contrite. He's actually sort of facing up to, you know, his own hubris and, and the consequences of that. And that, that seemed like a really, like, a good thing for the city. And then as, it, as that sort of unwinds and you get to, well, I didn't want to be mayor or I hated being mayor... <laughs> I mean, he is never, this man capable he, of he contrition? Never, he, he never really, he never really says, "Yes, I stole." Yes, I took no. bribes. He says, "You know, if I I blurred the lines a little, if I maybe came off as being, you know, heavy-handed or whatever with contracts or whatever." But he, not, and then he, at the end, he says, "But I never stole from the city." And mm-hmm. he gave one of those non-apology apologies where he said, "If anyone feels blah blah blah, right. I apologize for that." Um, he showed a small degree of contriteness. His body language was definitely, as I said earlier, subdued and contrite. But his message was, again, very mixed, and he has never really um, taken full responsibility for what he was convicted of. I, it, it's hard to believe that anything a defendant says at the sentencing hearing can really have that much effect on the judge's decisions. Right, absolutely. You know, I, I wonder, I, though, if Kilpatrick had come in there and had thrown himself at the judge and said, I was wrong, I stole, I learned my lesson, put me in prison, I'm going to do good in prison, and on and on like that, maybe she would have knocked two or three years sure. off. I don't think she was going to, like, uh, half I, it. But, I, but I, I wonder I don't if... Think, I don't, I, that you you would think that works, but I, I, I see in a lot of these things, I don't think any of that matters. I think she had her whole case laid out, and she was basically reciting what the prosecution had said, all, you know, all through their you know arguments. And so, I think even though that would have looked good, I I, I question because I, I I think she she had consultation from other judges, mm-hmm. and I think when she came in, she had arrived at a number. But don't you think had he, had he and his legal team started in March? Sort of a, a contrition campaign, if you will, that seemed in good faith. That would have made it. Di- that's could yeah. that have made that's a difference. Different. Mm-hmm. That's right. different, but not not the day of when when she's she comes in there with a very firm number. You really have to do something to jar that number from mm-hmm. her hand. Uh, is it is it fair to take that into like? Is it fair to say, well, if he was contrite, we'll only give him fifteen years, but. Well, one of the I, standards of sentencing, as okay. she pointed out, was um, you know. It, what is he going to do in the community or danger to the community? Mm-hmm. And if he shows maybe that, uh, if he had shown all along that he was reformed, uh, contrite, whatever, that might have probably made a difference, as Al said a little bit earlier. Also, what worked against him is his total disrespect for the law since he pled guilty to perjury in right. 2008. He has thumbed his nose at the Michigan criminal justice system in every way, and the judge took that into account as she was able to do under the law. And it's interesting, before the trial, there was a report, I think, in, in the Detroit News saying that the feds had offered 15 years. And at that time, I thought, well... Before the trial. Before the trial. Right. And I thought, well, that's ridiculous, because that's all he's going to get even if he's convicted. Sure. And he might have thought the same thing. He might have thought, well, 15 years, you're offering me nothing. But it could have negotiated down to 12. Yeah, it's, it's almost kind of amazing to think that 15 years is a lenient sentence. I mean, the idea of spending <laughs> 15 years in prison is unimaginable, and 28 years is... You know, even a relatively healthy, relatively young man, like, it's almost hard to imagine he walks out of that prison cell in 28 mm-hmm. years. I yeah. mean, it's... Well, you know, there there is precedent for the 28 years. A guy in Cleveland, a county commissioner, mm-hmm. got 28 years last year, I believe. Right, right. And so the judge brought that up. And that's part of the sentencing guidelines, too, that it's got to be 
in perspective with what other people are getting. And she admitted that sentences have gone up for public corruption in the last few years. And I'm pretty sure I'm right that Barbara McQuaid, the U.S. attorney, was the acting U.S. attorney for that sentence down in Cleveland because there was some conflict between the U.S. attorney down there hmm. and um, right. this county commissioner. So, so you really look at it, though. I mean, there's a lot of public corruption cases out there. And, and yes, that's at the high end. But is that, like, typical? That's almost an aberration, it seems, of 20 years. I, I, I tend to think, you know, why not 20 years? Why not 22 years? I mean, you're basically saying, I mean, if he were a danger to society, I'd say 28 years for all he's done. And I mean, clearly he has a criminal record and he's shown defiance uh, toward the, you know, the whole law enforcement system. He slugged a cop. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he, the jerk factor there is, is fairly sure. high. But still, the question is, can he come back into society and, and be productive again and do some productive things? And, and, and I, I think with his background and stuff, I think there's a possibility that he could. But we're really saying with 28 years, we don't think you can and we don't really care. Imagine how much the world is going to change in 28 years. I sure. Mean, you know, New York City could have a foot of water uh, in parts of it uh, with global warming in that length of time. That's a long time. <laughs> you think about the world and doing quick math in my head, I may be wrong, 1985 is 28 years ago. That's a, it's a very different world now, mm -hmm. you know. DeadlineDetroit.com does not exist in anyone's imagination in 1985, right. you know. You know, it's interesting. I, the, the case I covered, the uh, Chief Hart, William Hart case when he was police chief at Detroit, mm -hmm. and I think it was like 91 or 92, uh, the sentencing, he stole $1.2 million. Uh, the sentencing guidelines were five years, the, the right. max, and the judge gave him 10. Uh, and that's all I remember, you know, he got 10 years, which I thought, like, wow, that's pretty, pretty serious. But he was in a position of trust. It wasn't an elected position, but he took money that was supposed to go for pay, to pay informants. Mm -hmm. And some cops had to go into their own pockets and pay those informants. So, you know, sentences in the United States are longer in general than other Western countries. Sure. If you just compare what people get for serious crimes in Canada, even mm -hmm. they're much shorter than the U.S. That's part of you know the they talk about the U.S. exceptionalism. That's one of the ways that we're exceptional is that our, we have more people in prison than any other country you know, proportionately, and we hand out tougher sentences, and we have the death penalty. Nobody else does now, and right. except for Iran. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or China. China, yeah. yeah. Um, i curious about the process today. To imagine from, from TV and movies that, you know, someone is convicted and the judge sort of thinks up a punishment and throws it out. But it seemed like, the, at least in the federal court, this is a very deliberative, very complicated process, and there, there's a point system. I mean, it almost sounded like we're watching, you know, American Bandstand when uh, and I, the, the, the stuff coming about, well, the point went to 47 and then down to 46 or well, something. That's true in state court, too. Sure. It's a little more deliberative and drawn out in federal court, but there's, um, you know, guidelines in state court, too. But uh, this judge um, seemed to be more precise as far as being very clear for the record what she was doing. Mm -hmm. She was, you know, insulating the case, her decision, I think, against an appeal or something. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, I mean, it was it was certainly based on a lot of, I mean, you get pre-sentence reports from the from the probation department. And, uh, uh, there's a whole, and, and as you say, the, the whole point system where they calculate everything based on, you know, and it gets added 
added points for being in an elected uh, position of trust. Right. Uh, and a decision maker, too. And a decision that, yeah. maker. And then there's also, it goes by according to how much money is involved in, in the crime. So there's a lot of different different elements there. But she certainly, I don't think anyone can say, she, she certainly laid out a case to justify the 28 years. The question is whether, you know, is 22 punitive enough? Is that, mm-hmm. is that send a message? I mean, do, do you think Kwame would have made a difference if if he had known he'd get 15 years as 28 years? I think he's a guy who just thought he'd never get caught. Do you think the, his age had something to do with that? Do you think if he were in his late 50s or early 60s, they would have said 15 years? But, I mean, like, it is interesting to me that 28 years gets him over the age of 70. Well, you know, the And guy, even with the good behavior, he's still in his late 60s. The, the, the person, the former county commissioner in Cleveland was 57. Okay. When he got 28 years, so I'm not sure. I mean... That's a death sentence. Yeah. yeah. You know, if you're 57. Right, right. And, you know, William Jefferson was, I think, about 63 when he got 13 years. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's... So... All right, well, it's, uh, we are talking on Thursday afternoon, and so tomorrow morning, uh, court is back in session for Bobby Ferguson. Does, to, does the Thursday ruling say anything about what's going to happen to Bobby Ferguson tomorrow? Uh, I, I think it does. I mean, whether, whether he gets 28 years, I don't, I don't know that I'll get 28 years because he wasn't really an elected official and stuff like that. He just acted but, like one. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I think the fact that he got 28 years... It'd be kind of hard to give him only 15. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're probably talking in the 20s himself. And I mean, and he's got a pretty extensive criminal record. And that's violent and a record violent too. criminal record, violent, yeah. And they caught him with some uh, fake ID. Uh, so the, the guns. guns, he's got guns. He's, he's, he's a felon in possession. He's yeah. hidden money. Right. Uh, so I, I think, and he intimidated a cop that came up during the, during the trial there. So I think I'd be surprised if it was anything below 20 and probably probably closer to what Kwame did. Did you notice when Kwame was talking today, he said that uh, when he, one of the first times he met Bobby, he had been carjacked. Uh, Bobby Ferguson was oh, carjacked. Right, right, right. <laughs> I couldn't imagine carjacking Bobby Ferguson. You know, I think he'd, he'd get the better. He seems like a tough, like a tough I'm, bad guy. On a know? list of 100, he'd at least be 99 <laughs> yeah. on the list of people you don't want to carjack. But uh, it's interesting that he brought that up, and I, I don't know if he thought that was going to be like, like, hey, we're victims here too. Yeah, like, he was really defending his buddy Bobby. So, and, and his father Ber- Ber- Bernard, yes. who is to be sentenced, and he is not in prison in a week. And he and his he, there's a lot of leeway with that. I think right. he's got. I think each one is probably a maximum of maybe three years or a what, year or something. It's was kind of, was I, I thought there was only one. There's tax counts. I think. There, oh, multiple tax counts. I think okay. there's multiple tax counts, but he got off on the on the racketeering. Right. But the judge. My my impression is from listening to her, the judge feels that he was culpable in, in the whole conspiracy and the racketeering mm-hmm. thing. So, she may err on the side of a bigger sentence than a lesser sentence. So he could. I mean, you 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 think he could see a sentence of a couple couple years in prison? I think that's I think that's possible. Either way, even if I can't remember what the the maximum is, but mm-hmm. you can stack consecutive. Right. You know. So. so for the Kilpatrick boys, both their father and their grandfather will be in prison. Yep. And Kwame argued to the judge that was one reason not to sentence his father to prison is that he's been very attentive to the boys. And Kwame has uh, twins who are like in their late teens, still in high school though, and then a young boy who's in grade school. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wonder how, you know, I wonder how much that really sh- even should play into 
these kind of decisions. It, it, it just seems like, like to your point about, you know, taking care of your kids is the minimum thing you should do. It's like, you know, you have that responsibility. Don't do the crime. But I don't the, think that the comes up. Is, yeah, and the question is, is, is the father even in Texas? I mean, the kids are in Texas. So is, I, I uh, it's unclear if the father's mm-hmm. been living with well, we Are they still in Texas? Yeah, they are. Okay. That's what, they, that's what he, Kwame requested that's right. being sentenced to a prison right. in Texas. Yeah. So, so I, I think it's you know it's I, I think if he was the only caretaker available, but the kids, sure, you know, they've got the mother still, so it's not like they're going to be. It's not a hardship. They're not going to be parentless, right? And so I think I think that a judge looks at it and says, well, you know what? That's one of the things you should have thought about when you committed the crime. That you are going to leave your children fatherless. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Well, hopefully this is the last last week that the uh, the saga of Kwame Kilpatrick rises above the fold. In it's hard, it's hard to media. It's hard to believe his name won't come up somewhere. There'll be there'll be something that happens in prison. And it'll be a big story or so, something will go on. And I was thinking, you know, when you when you look at twenty eight years and he gets a cut of maybe fifteen or something like that. The only other way, short of an appeal, where it's just, you know, the whole thing is vacated, is that if he's in ill health, sometimes they'll let you out early. Sure. Uh, But sometimes not. I just read a story yesterday about, uh, in New York State, I believe this was state court, uh, people who were in their 80s not being let out, uh, close to death even, you know, so... It's a tough world out there. (laughs) Tough world. When you break the law. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, as much as I am all for you know, no mercy for Kwame Kilpatrick. There's a point, I think, when people are at death's door when some some level of mercy is appropriate. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but otherwise, this is the end of, hopefully, the end of Kwame. Well, I was at the beginning of Kwame. I covered his inauguration at the Fox Theater in 2002, and it was a very inspirational event. He had three generations of his family, both mm-hmm. sides, up on the stage, and they were singing. He was holding hands with Dennis Archer as they sang a song. You know, it was very inspirational, and so it's really amazing to think 11 years later, it's over, he's gone, and uh, a lot of stuff has happened in 11 years. It's really quite remarkable. Yeah, I think we'll uh, leave it there. So thanks, guys. All right, thank you.